Creative Babble. This episode contains depictions of violence and may not be suitable for all audiences. Last time on Pretend Radio, we learned about John Cooper's escape from the Word of Faith Fellowship. We like zoomed back into the neighborhood, grabbed like grabbed what we could fit in our car, and in like ten minutes, and uh, and like and hiked it out of there. And I was prepared to like never, you know, see my family again. Soon after he left, John says Pastor Jane Whaley called him trying to lure him back and she was saying you know uh, that I was wicked and whatever and um so she actually personally called you mm-hmm. wow okay. oh yeah yeah everybody knows when you say you bless the church even the wicked know what that means everybody knows what it means am I supposed to say that I've not left or no you aren't supposed to say anything if you want to have a relationship with me because that puts a seed. She goes on to tell him that he and his wife, Jessica, are rebellious and deceitful. Well, I'm, I know you feel that way, but I don't feel like I'm deceived and I don't feel like I'm in rebellion, so... You're deceived. That's the reason you can't say it. You're deceived. It's not the way I feel. It's what God says. That's what God says. It's not the way I feel. I don't feel anything about what you Jessica, has done. I don't have any feelings toward except I am so grieved because the Holy Spirit is grieved in me. It's worse than somebody dying. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend Radio. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. You're listening to part three of The Prophet, If you haven't listened to the first two episodes, you might want to stop here and start at the beginning. Today, let's try to look at this story from the perspective of the Word of Faith Fellowship. It's going to be a little tricky considering I haven't gotten a response from the church. I've reached out to church representative Joshua Farmer several times and still haven't heard anything back. So I decided to give Pastor Jane Whaley a call on her personal cell phone. What would happen if I called her? She'd blow you off, probably. But, like, would she answer the phone? Doubt it, but she might. This is it. I have one shot to get this right. My strategy is to tell her up front that I want to tell her side of the story. And I want to learn more about her faith. But if she answers, I have only a couple seconds to make my case and prevent her from hanging up. So I find a quiet space and I dial her number. Okay, here goes nothing. I'm going to call Pastor Jane Whaley and see what she says. No answer, so I try again this time. This time, someone picks up. Hello? This is Javier Leva. Um, I'm calling because I'm doing a story on the Word of Faith Fellowship, and I really want to tell your story and your point of view and what you believe in. And not, you know, we don't have to talk about the allegations at first, but I definitely want to, sir, to know what you're about. Sir, yes? it, it, excuse me. Uh, you have the wrong number. Whoops. <laughs> that was awkward. 
Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, uh, do you go to the Word of Faith Fellowship? No, I do not. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't really need to know what you're talking about. Sir. Oh, okay. Okay. No problem. No problem. Thank, thank you for your time. All right. Have Bye. a great day. You too. So I can't get Jane directly, but we do have a statement released by the church. It says, We are shocked and saddened to learn of the false allegations made against our church by certain former members. It goes on to say, We do not condone or allow abuse in any form at our church, period. These false allegations were predominantly made by members of an extended family. The allegations to this small group of people should be viewed in contrast to the number of faithful members in our large congregation. It's true, the Word of Faith Fellowship has 750 members in Spindale, North Carolina, and nearly 2,000 members in churches based in Brazil and Ghana. The press release ends saying, We remain hopeful that the public will see through these fabrications and see them for what they are. We've heard a lot about John Cooper, but what about some of the people that he left behind? What do they have to say? Unfortunately, I just can't drive up to the church because it's tucked away and it's closed to the public. However, I do have some video testimonials from some of the Word of Faith Fellowship members. You see, the church has a YouTube channel devoted to telling their side of the story. Let's start with Amy. My name is Amy. I was married to Peter Cooper, a former member of the Word of Faith Fellowship. If you recall from the last episode, Peter was the brother who went to college with John Cooper. And I realized I had to get out of that marriage because there was nothing left. All his motives were to use me. He wanted to get me to lie like he is today. She's visibly shaken. And I absolutely was not going to lie about the people that I love because the things that he says are not true. He didn't want me talking to any of the ministers unless he was there because he wanted to record them. And then he would take me to these meetings and we would sit down with his family. They would play recordings. They would see how they could alter these videos to make a story, to make it sound the way they wanted it to sound, to use it against innocent people, against lives that never did anything but care for them. Also, the video is a little choppy, so I can't really tell if the church is cutting it down for time or if they're just feeding her lines in between takes. They say that there are 43 that are coming out speaking against the church. Let's just take one look. You have a whole family and their cousins, their wives, and a few close friends, their children. That adds up to 43 very quickly. The Cooper family alone makes up a good portion of the people speaking out against the church. So this is one entire family that is choosing to bring out stories Sean Smitherin, John Cooper's brother-in-law, had this to say. So John David wants to paint this picture and twist this to fit his narrative that he was psychologically controlled and manipulated by Jane Whaley and his every move was dictated to the point where he couldn't buy a car, couldn't get married without the permission of Jane Whaley. The truth is he didn't have money to buy a car because he hadn't held down a job and he had been going to college and didn't have any credit. He goes on and on about the car for a minute. John David wanted to go to college and we were all right behind him. We worked to get him a car, worked to get him uh, tuition paid, gave him housing, we lived together. Um, And he was showing nothing but love 
in our family. Uh, so how does he stray so far to come back and try to make it that we're the enemy? So what about John's claim that the church stalked him after he left the church? This is John speaking at a town hall meeting about what happened. When, when my wife and I first left, um, they were stalking us, like following us in cars, and they, uh, they actually like got into my wife's um, online account using like find my iPhone to try to track us based on the iPhone location data. Um, they actually like followed us all the way up to Capitol, which is four hours away. It was her parents that actually followed John when he talks about there was a truck that followed us and, and they were hacking our phones and it was her parents who were genuinely concerned about the safety of their daughter. They just upped and left and we had no idea if she was in danger or what happened. So there's no truth that he was psychologically controlled and he had to overcome all these obstacles. He was given everything and the road was paved and even after he left he talks about you know they had to do it all on their own. They were still supported by her parents, um, mainly, really, until he got his Navy scholarship. So how does Sean rationalize John Cooper's anger against the church? When it really started changing, when I started seeing John David change, was two or three years into college, when he started being swayed by some atheistic teachers. He started questioning whether Christianity was true and whether that was the religion for him. And nobody tore him down or demented him because of it, but tried to help him. And he moved away. Everybody still supported him. But now he's come back and he wants to bring harm to us because his beliefs are different than ours. He wants to endanger my family. When you attend a forum and lie and tell people they abused me, they beat me, what does that want, make you want to do? to those people that committed these acts. It makes you want to hunt them out. Well, this is in my town. I have uh, a little girl and I have another one on the way. I don't take them out in public right now because of the hate that's been incited by these lies. So what do others in the church have to say about the accusations? Benjamin McGee says that the Word of Faith Fellowship is just an ordinary church. There's nothing illegal happening. I've been here for 22 years, and I don't know anything about the abuse that has gone on in this church because there was none. To what extent are these guys willing to go to lie, to prove their story, to make their agenda, whatever they want to do? How far are they going to go with it? How, how bad are they going to lie? That's my question. Benjamin says these aren't hostage videos produced by the church. There's nobody forcing me to do this video right now. And by the way, I have no teleprompters in this room. I'm speaking of my own accord. I travel as I please. My friends come and go as they please. We talk together when we want to. We do anything we want to do. And we're very happy here in this church. It's all he said, she said at this point. Until now. After four years, there's a criminal case for the five ministers accused of assaulting and kidnapping Matthew Fenner in 2013. You may remember Matthew Fenner from episode one. He is the teen who accused church members of beating the gay demons out of him for over two hours. If convicted, they could face up to two years in prison. By the way, Pastor Jane Whaley is not one of the five ministers facing trial. 
Matthew told authorities that he was leaving a prayer service on January 27, 2013, when nearly two dozen people surrounded him in the sanctuary. He said they slapped, punched, choked, and screamed at him for hours. He claims they did this to expel his homosexual demons. I tried to reach out to Matthew Frenner for an interview, but the judge has placed a gag order during the trial. Here's Matthew talking to an ABC affiliate, WLOS, in 2015. They are willing to do anything to keep their name clean. So, I mean, there is that looming fear in the back of my mind as to I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, I'm always going to probably feel like I'm going to have to look over my shoulder. However, the church's defense lawyer, David Teddy, argued that Matthew Frenner's not innocent. He too participated in blasting prayers, you know, the screaming prayers, on other church members. In fact, the defense told the jury, and I quote, he, Matthew Frenner, requested the prayer. He consented to the prayer. And I submit to you, he knew what was coming. Matthew Frenner, his mother and brother, joined the church in 2010. And there's video of Matthew speaking in front of the congregation, proudly defending the church. I got to a low point in my life. I got to where I had nothing. My mom and I had nothing. There was nothing left for us except to turn our hearts to God, and that's what we did. I know I wasn't here my whole life. I wasn't raised here. I wasn't taught God the way that they're taught here. I gave myself to, you know, much unclean. There became a point where I was so unhappy with my life that I was so tormented where I decided I was going to, you know, I wanted to take my life. I didn't want to live anymore. So I overdosed, and I ended up going to the hospital for it. But God, in his mercy, saved me. I decided that I didn't want the world anymore. But as I came here to the Word of Faith, I began to see what God is in someone's life. I began to see who Jesus is. I began to see the love of God. I began to see the presence of God. Fast forward years later, and he's changed his tune. I know it's going to be a long process. I know it's going to be an emotional process. I know it's, you know, it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of patience, but I know it's going to be, you know, I feel like even if it doesn't give the outcome, isn't what we desire. I know at least I put my truth out there and people know. It's taken nearly four years to bring this case to trial. Why has it taken so long? Well, the trial has been delayed several times. First, because all five defendants were being represented by the same attorneys, all members of the Word of Faith Fellowship. Then, an Associated Press investigation revealed that church leaders performed mock trials and coached congregants to lie to investigators, including two assistant district attorneys. Assistant DAs Frank Webster and Chris Back are both Word of Faith Fellowship members who practice criminal cases as assistant DAs for three nearby counties. Oh, so they're assistant DAs from another county, so why is this a problem? Well, because providing legal advice and participating in a mock trial is illegal in North Carolina and could be considered obstruction of justice. Former member Rachel Bryant told the AP that one of the assistant DAs sat in for Michael Frenner during the mock trial. Then, supposedly, Jane told everyone to stand where they were that night. One by one, they reenacted what occurred. Rachel says, Some would point to his head and say, I put my hand right here. But then Jane would start screaming, you did not do that. Your hand was not on his head. Both Frank Webster and Chris Back stepped down after the AP's report. However, no criminal charges have been filed. I left a message for their boss, Burke County District Attorney David Lerner, and he hasn't returned my call.
If these allegations are true, the church's reach went beyond the DA's office and into a nearby social services department. Former members say social worker Lori Cornelius coached students throughout an investigation over complaints of abuse at the church's school. Lori Cornelius also resigned. I called Jerry Weiss, a licensed counselor who has worked with former church members, and when I asked him if he could be interviewed for this podcast, he stopped me and he asked if I had any affiliations with the church, and he was really suspicious. I mean, everyone seems to have their guard up. So I think that unknown, and no one wants to be a target, um, either socially, professionally, um, from a business standpoint. And it's sort of like desensitized. We've heard about these things for years and years. We never see the actual information or, or proof or disproof of anything. So people decide it's easier to not have an opinion or not say it. And trust that systems that be will act accordingly and that justice will follow. But as we know the world over, that does not always happen. I asked Jerry about some of the church victims he counsels, and this is what he had to say. There have been members who are former members that have sought support and counseling from me, and um, some who left there try to be strong enough to get help who ultimately returned. And that was one of the saddest things that I've ever seen. So here we are. Trial finally begins for one of the ministers, and the judge declared a mistrial because one of the jurors snuck in three legal documents and handed them out to other jurors. The judge immediately sentenced the juror to 30 days in jail and fined him 500 bucks. So why is this so hard to prosecute this case? Well, get this. In 2005, the AP states that the court compromised with the Word of Faith Fellowship and guaranteed that blasting, you know, those screaming prayers and other practices could no longer form the sole basis to launch an abuse investigation. More recently, in fact, the week of this recording, an AP report claims that it has court documents and secret recordings demonstrating the law enforcement authorities and the county sheriff himself actively delayed the Fenner investigation. Law enforcement reportedly told Fenner that his only option was to pursue misdemeanor charges against the ministers. John Cooper says this is why it's such a hard fight. They'll destroy evidence. Um, when I was a kid, and uh, it was like the early 2000s, so when that attack was going on, as they, they would say, but basically during that round of, of publicity and uh, court cases, um, I remember helping, I had no clue what it, what it was or what we were doing, but helping destroy a bunch of cassette tapes. Uh, I was just told to like, we had like wheelbarrows full of, um, of cassette tapes that they wanted burned. So we just like had a big like bonfire and we were just burning cassette tapes. And um, yeah, I have no clue what was on them. Um, but we were told uh, like never, to, it was only like three of us. And we were told like, don't you ever, ever, ever talk about it. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. Like, we were just having a good time. Like I had no clue what we were yeah, doing. Were just I was, like, yeah, I was like 12 years old or 10 years old, you know, just like having a good time. And then, then later I was like, oh, we probably destroyed a bunch of evidence. So. There's so much to talk about. I mean, I could seriously go on for hours. 
For example, I'm extremely curious about the church's presence in Brazil and in Ghana. They have nearly 2,000 members worldwide. I wonder what their story is. I would love to talk with Michael Frenner and get his take, but for now, I'm going to leave it right here. I'll revisit this topic if something major develops, like if I get the real Jane on the phone this time. For now, I suggest following Mitch Weiss at the Associated Press. He's an amazing journalist, and no one's covered this story the way he has. When I first started this, I thought it would be one episode, but after digging and digging, I became fascinated with this story. But we have to move on. Next time on Pretend Radio, we're switching things up a bit. We're going to explore the birth of a con man. We're going to see how one street thug evolved into running a multi-million dollar insurance fraud scam. Our theme music was composed by Other Electricities and Adamas and Dimpass. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends. There are so many amazing stories I have to share with you. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, follow us on Twitter, pretend underscore radio. Creative power.